Welcome to episode 118 of The Climate Champions. Check out past episodes on theclimatechampions.com. I'm Lee Crevat, host of The Climate Champions. If you or someone you know is a climate champion, please let me know at crevatenergyinnovations.com. This week, my featured guest is Amanda Frike, Chief Revenue Officer for Altruistic, a leader in end-to-end solutions in data, digital, and AI. Amanda is on a mission to enable a responsible energy future. She oversees strategic partnership and solution delivery across the globe and is never content with the status quo. A natural leader and listener, she excels at the creative strategizing and problem solving that gets jobs done. She is described by her leaders as fearlessly optimistic and wicked smart. Holding a patent addressing the balance of distributed power at the customer level, Amanda understands the importance of bringing meaningful innovation to the industries that need it most. This podcast is being brought to you in part by the Department of Energy's Advanced Grid Research Group, whose purpose is to accelerate innovation in electric transmission and distribution technologies and create next generation devices, software, and tools to help modernize the electric grid. Amanda's aptitude and passion for engineering clearly come naturally. Both her father and grandfather were also engineers. She attended California Polytechnic State University, San Luis Obispo, where she got her Bachelor of Science in Electrical Engineering. Upon graduation, she immediately began troubleshooting operations and distribution projects beginning in the San Diego area and moving throughout the U.S. and Canada. Through that process, she also earned her professional engineering license. Welcome to the Climate Champions. I'm Lee Crevat, and I'm here with Amanda Frike, Chief Revenue Officer at Altruistic. Amanda, welcome to the Climate Champions. Thank you so much, Lee. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited too. With regards to climate change, what was your motivating moment? Great question. And I think it'll be one that is somewhat unique of some of the stories you hear in your conversations, because mine really comes from my engineering brain, right? So I'm an electrical engineer, utility industry my whole life. And when I was at San Diego Gas and Electric, where we first met, we felt the brunt of the beginning of the renewable boom. And where I was sitting in the organization, we were seeing all of these fears and questions about how this would operationally work, how it would happen and how the grid could still be safe. And for me, it really became more about enabling the technology than the technology itself. And so it was about making sure we had the foundation to grow in renewables and sustainable technology in a way that was safe and would keep the lights on. That is basically the same answer that I would give. It was my time at SDG&E leading Smart Grid mm-hmm. that I realized, oh my God, we are in the perfect place to change the world from a climate change yes. perspective. Yeah, by letting things integrate. That's why we became friends, right? Is because I think we found each other and we were both very excited and motivated. I'm like, okay, kindred spirits on a mission. Smart grid's the word. Let's do this. There were a lot of people that didn't have that opinion. Those were really the days, though. I think those were very formative years of my career because it was a time where we were standing up for something that we said, this is the future. This is the bus. Get on it or get run over. And I mean, I will say neither one of us were very popular in some of those conversations. And no, we both became kind of just these fearless, outspoken evangelists for you know the future. 
Now you say get on a bus, but you're in an RV right now. And the reason I'm mentioning it is because I do want to ask you what drives you, but the answer isn't an RV. (laughs) That's great. Yes. And it's funny, actually related to the RV, I will say is the story is, and just to give some context, my family moved into a class A motorhome about a year ago, because we decided to choose happiness over everything else in our lives. And I won't go into that whole story, although it is beautiful. And for me, you know, what drives me is the best future possible for my son, who's five, and quite frankly, being a good human. And to me, that's what a lot of my career has been about the choices I make have been about being a good human and making choices that are responsible for me, for my family, and for humans in general. When you meet people that don't understand climate change or the data, how do you convince them how important this is? It's such a good question. And I think, you know, one thing I talk about a lot with people is the politicization of the energy industry. It's all become so black and white, either you believe in something or you don't, or you agree with this or you don't. And for me, I don't want to change your mind. I'm not in the business of changing your mind, right? I don't care what talking points you're willing to put on your Facebook or not. What I do care about is that you're a good human and that you make good choices. An analogy I used the other day with someone was about electric vehicles. I said, you can believe really passionately that electric vehicles are the future. It doesn't make it right to steal one in order to have one, <laughs> right? And so it's it's looking at, you know, if you're making choices because you're being responsible for yourself, for your family, for your community, for the environment, regardless of what talking points you're willing to subscribe to publicly, then I think you're on the right path. And that's what I really try to work with with people because you know, I mean, there are polar opposite opinions everywhere in the energy industry is for me being an engineer, it's let's go back to what's technically feasible and an engineering way responsible and ethical. And that usually ends up getting everybody on the same page, regardless of where we started, which is kind of wonderful. That's a cool way to do it. Yeah, it's uh, energy industry is a fun place right now. That's for sure. I can't believe you just said that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is. I Obviously, I choose to continue working Mm-hmm. in this industry, not just energy industry, but in the climate change industry. It's so important and it matters so much. And it is fun. Fantastic yeah. people. It is. And I think that's one thing that's really incredible about the shift we're seeing in the energy industry right now is that although some of the, let's call it political drama that is happening within the industry that makes it more difficult to work is driving more innovative and brilliant minds to the space. And that is exactly what we need. And that has been a wonderful byproduct of kind of the shift that we're all going through, even if it can be painful at times. You're talking about working in the energy industry, but you've recently taken on a new role. You're at Altruistic. Can you talk about Mm -hmm. what that is and how do you help mitigate climate change? Yeah, absolutely. So um, like I mentioned, spent my entire career, you know, working with or in utilities, which has been amazing and I wouldn't trade any of that for the world. In the beginning of this year, I did accept the role with Altruistic and we are a data digital and AI consultancy firm where we help companies from every part of their digital journey. So all the way from, you know, back in the days of smart grid when we're going, what is this all this data and what do we do with it to very advanced situations where they're looking at deploying AI. And 
for me, what's so beautiful about altruistic is one, the name really embodies what we believe in is it's not innovating for the sake of innovating. It's innovating for the sake of doing good in the world and for actually making a difference. And one stat that I saw recently was that 85% of the 54 billion or 52 billion, some big, big number of investment that's going to be made in AI is going to fail. And it's going to fail because people aren't innovating with the goal in mind. They're innovating for the sake of innovating. They're solving problems that aren't there. And so for me, what's really important is as we take on projects, and this is a long-winded answer to get to the climate change question, is that we're looking at those kinds of projects that are really making a difference. And we're looking at ways to support companies that have out-of-the-box ideas and you know are taking their idea to IP, taking these ideas and making them tangible into products and solutions that can be deployed and make a difference. And I'll give you one example that I'm really excited about because it's coming very full circle right now. But I don't know if you remember, it was many, many moons ago when we got this smart transformer patent at SDG&E. Of course I do. Okay. So incredibly enough, I have taken that idea, which now has become, you know, a little outdated in how it would be applied and all of that and giving rebirth to it and taking that, really elevating it in a meaningful way and working on a development plan and wireframing it. And I'm talking to investors right now to bring this beautiful algorithm design to economic dispatch at the distribution transformer level. And it's just magical how different the ecosystem is from 10 years ago when we wrote that and how much it needed to change to actually be applicable. And I think we were so ahead of our time back there. It was brilliant. I'm not just saying that because I was on the team. It was really wonderful experience. But I think even if we had taken it to market in a meaningful way back then, it would have already died because it wasn't as future thinking as we needed it to be because there's no way to have known. It was like when we wrote the Smart Grid 2020 plan for the CPUC. It was, you know, you're looking out into the future for things that haven't been invented yet. And now we're able to see a much clearer vision of the technology that will be available, the technology that will be adopted and make something that can make a real impact and drive, pun intended, electric vehicle adoption, allowing these more complex and interesting energy situations to exist. So clearly I'm excited because I could go on forever about it. (laughs) (laughs) You're getting me excited. I don't think there's been a better time for a company with the name altruistic that really means what it is named. My kids, every young person I talk to, they want to do something for meaning, not just for money. Some are willing to give up the money if they could just do something with their life that matters. And now it's not just kids. Everybody I'm talking to now wants to make a difference. That's what I'm doing here. And that's what everybody I talk to is trying to do. It is. And that's one of the pieces of altruistic that I love the most is that part of the way we deliver on our promises is we have this crowd of global data science and technical professionals that we tap into. And one thing that I have been extremely passionate about since being you know, the only girl in school is diversity in the workplace, but not in the kind of traditional sense of how do you look? Are you a boy or a girl? But the diversity of thought, knowing that if you come from different backgrounds, if you come from different countries, if you look different than someone else, you have different experiences, which means you think differently and you can bring different ideas to the innovation table. 
And so because we tap into this global crowd, the ideas and the solutions that are delivered are so beautiful, for lack of a better word. And they're so elegant. And the theory of open innovation is part of kind of our toolkit. And it really, I think, just adds to the altruistic nature of what the world needs as far as innovation goes. Is just because you're a self-taught data scientist living in a small village in Africa doesn't mean your knowledge and your ideas are any less valuable than the data scientist getting paid $500,000 a year at Google. And democratizing the availability to solve the challenges and solve the world's problems is just really, it's awesome. I couldn't agree more about the power of diversity, the value, the need for it. And then on the other hand, we have a lot of people that fear diversity. Mm -hmm. It's true. And it's, especially in this industry, I will say as a young female in energy, right? I've had my, my days of looking in the mirror and saying, did that really just happen? <laughs> like, what year is it? But I think the most important part about those experiences is that, A, you, you can't dwell on them and you can't let them defeat you. And you have to be part of the solution. That for me doesn't look like, you know, becoming this crazy feminist and demanding quotas on boards. And, you know, I agree with a lot of those things, but for me, that doesn't, that doesn't feel right in my soul of how to support the kind of diversity I know really makes a difference. For me, it's about really finding the unicorns of the human race and tapping into the beauty that's within them and bringing that to light. And you can read the Harvard says you can do all the things like we all know that diversity equals money for a business. You can't fight that. The data is there. So if you can find the elegant ways to tap into it, you're just going to be more successful. So anybody who doesn't agree with that, I, I don't know what to say to you. That's one thing I will try to convince you till I'm blue in the face. And if you don't believe me, well, then let's just have a beer and get over it. <laughs> I could use that beer. <laughs> <laughs> You've talked a bit about your time at SDG&E with me. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk more about your prior background? Yeah, sure. So uh, yeah, electrical engineer by education. I will give a shout out to Dr. Topic at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo because he is the reason I am a power engineer. Um, you know, he saw in me that I was not the typical engineer, which is probably why I got asked if I was in the wrong classroom, not by him, but another professor, and knew that the utility space would be a market that could embrace me being different in the engineering space and being a little loud and outspoken and energetic. And so I spent the first, I don't even know how many years now, probably close to half of my career working in utilities, both SDG&E and TEP, Tucson Electric Power, and had just some really awesome experiences, a lot of operations, of course, smart grid, which nobody uses those two words anymore. Now it's grid modernization, right? And then came to what we call the dark side, and started working for vendors in sales and applications and consulting, which I've just found really valuable because I'm able to see the solutions and the problems from both sides of the table. And I think that is helping me in my role now where I could be consulting or developing programs and projects for either the utility or their vendors. And I'm able to help either side of the table see from the other's point of view. And that usually leads to kind of stronger collaborations. It was a little serendipitous how I found myself at Altruistic. I was at an energy conference in Tucson, Arizona, RMEA, shout out to that group, Rocky Mountain Electrical Association, I think. 
really great utility-based conference, just one of the best. And the keynote speaker was a man named Steve Rader, who works for NASA. And I would call him the godfather of open innovation. And he gave this keynote on open innovation. And most people were sitting there saying, well, what's that, right? And typical utility conference, this is a leadership conference. So even worse, there's a bunch of old white men, which I say that with love. They're my favorite kind of people. And Steve talked about the power of the crowd and the power of diversity of thought. And the story within his keynote that hit me over the head like a two by four was there was a potato chip company and this potato chip company wanted to get more grease off their chips. And to do that, they would shake the conveyor belt. And of course that breaks a bunch of chips and nobody likes broken chips in their potato chip bag. So their team tried to solve it. They couldn't, they put it into a crowd. Instead of saying, we wanna get grease off of potato chips so they don't break, they anonymized it so that they wouldn't subconsciously impact the results of like what people would suggest as a solution. So they said, get viscous liquid off of a thin wafer. So they put this out into this crowd. The woman who won was a musician. And she said, pump the natural frequency of the liquid into the space and it will bounce off the wafer. And it still (laughs) gives me chills every time I tell that story. But my mind was the brain blowing up emoji. I was totally and completely blown away. Like, I have to know more. So I end up sitting next to him at dinner, talk like I do all night long about all these different stories of, you know, Stanford algorithms that were increased by 50% after they had already spent $10 million by this crowd and all of these different platforms that are enabling this. And I kind of went on my merry way. I pitched the idea of this open innovation to anyone that would listen for almost 10 years. Swear, this is a real story. I finally get to a point where I get someone and it sticks and I call Steve Rader at NASA or email. Right. Years later, I haven't seen this man. Like, hey, Steve, um, I finally got a chance to deploy open innovation. I need someone who is wicked with math. I need algorithms. I need the, the deep technical stuff. And he said, you need to meet Robert McGuire. He's building this company, Altruistic, and he has the data science crowd. And that's how I met Rob, and who's our CEO. And that's how I ended up joining Altruistic. And it was just, I love telling the story because I think it's so important that if you have moments that are those mind blow moments and you really feel that soul kick of like, I could scream this from the rooftops and no one would have to pay me, like pay attention because those opportunities tend to come back around. And now to your point earlier, like I could do this job and not get paid if I didn't have bills. You know, I love it that much. Wow. That is great advice and a great story. I love it. Can you talk about some of your biggest setbacks? Oh, that's a good one. Although I do have some pretty funny stories about being a female in some male-dominated rooms. I'll keep those for an adult beverage another day. Um, <laughs> I think, you know, it, I thought about this from listening to, to your podcast with other folks of what kind of story I wanted to share. And I think for me, th- this setback has led to I think something that I'm most proud of, which we've touched on a couple of times, but there's times in your career where, whether it be leadership or political bodies or whatever it is, is asking you to sell something that you don't believe in. And it may not be selling for money. It could be getting your organization on board, getting your leadership on board, whatever that looks like. And I've had that come up, unfortunately, more than once where like, Amanda, you need to be 
march into this tune and you need to sell this idea or this product or whatever. And I'm going, I don't know if I can do that. I definitely let myself sit in that for too long before, you know, I got up the guts to say no. And those usually led to pretty painful situations, you know, of just the stress that comes with not being aligned with your values. And so I think those, I mean, I, I won't say I've had like really dark days of my career because my career has been amazing, but you know, the, the hardest days for sure have been days when I have been out of alignment with what I've been asked to do. And I think one of the things I'm most proud of in my career is learning how to stand up for myself in those situations in a professional way, but knowing that my personal well-being and my alignment with my values has to come before everything else. It's a corollary to you have to get along with your boss, with your supervisor. Yeah. And usually get along really is a values thing. It's not always. I'm sure that's a pretty common reason why people don't jive. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's huge. And I think, unfortunately, a lot of corporate America right now is, I mean, to put it bluntly, is breeding minions. They're training people to think like them and talk like them. And that's where you lose innovation and you lose what we need to create the solutions of the future. So for me, it's really just finding those people who are willing to be outspoken uh, and put their neck on the line for what they believe in. Hey, you got a job. Um, yeah, <laughs> I'm still employed. <laughs> no, I meant you have one for me. <laughs> oh, yes, always. You are always hired. No, thank you. Can you talk about successes you're most proud of? I mean, first I'll say learning how to stand up for myself in those situations, for sure, is is a success that I would I would hang my hat on because I think that's been a really big growth experience for me. More tangible, you know, it's funny, but one that I go back to a lot is that darn smart grid plan. We wrote at SDG&E because I remember sitting in the room with the director of operations at the time who had been assigned the operational pillar of that 2020 plan for SDG&E. And he looked at me and he said, you get this smart grid stuff, right? <laughs> and I go, yeah, you know, I've, found myself pretty in it. I think someone called me Little Miss Smart Grid at one point. And he goes, can you help me run, you know, run this effort to build out the plan for Smart Grid 2020? And for those people listening who aren't familiar with what this was in California, it was delivering like down to the penny ROI on Smart Grid initiatives for 20 years. And we didn't even know- 10 years, 10 years. 10, 10 years, 10 years. You know, I'm looking at this, the team that have put to, been put together for operations. And if anybody's worked in operations in a utility, they are the salt of the earth, the most wonderful people, but change is not their strong suit. And it was, okay, guys, let's think about what we want our future to be. Here's a bunch of ideas that have come out of, you know, the smart grid group or the planning group. And every single one got poo-pooed, right? It's, we can't do this because of that. We can't do that because somebody's going to get killed. I mean, it's very dramatic. And I was sitting in the room at the Mission Control Center. This meeting was spiraling out of control. And I kind of looked around the room and went, you guys, listen, it's coming. Whether you want to admit it or not, these initiatives are here. And we will have to implement them. So we can either provide valuable feedback about how we can make sure it is operationally safe for the grid and for the humans that support it, or you will be told by people who don't 
understand the operations of our business, what we're going to do. So the choice is yours. And I was sweating through my shirt and probably shaking in that conversation, but we turned that group around and we delivered, I think, a really well thought out and strategic proposal, which I think some of it actually did come to life. And for that, it was, again, going back to the standing up for what you believe in theme, that was a moment where I go, okay, it works, right? It works. If you really believe in what you're saying and you really are trying to do the right thing, people can feel it. And that group ended up being awesome. And we got it done on time. And I wasn't the one in trouble in the group meeting because our pillar wasn't done yet. <laughs> hey, it's right behind me. No way. That's the plan. That's the that's no the 10 way. year plan it is. <laughs> I'm gonna make you make a photocopy and frame like the front page so I can hang it up in my RV. Well, it's a big poster that they framed for me when I left. That's amazing. And I've kept it. That's yeah. so funny. I mean, it's funny that I would bring up that and it's sitting right behind you. Yeah. Life-changing experience for me. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Okay. What is your vision for the next 10, 20, 30 years? How is the earth going to do with respect to climate change? You know, I was going to say I'm not a betting woman, but that's a lie. I'll put 20 on black. I think the future is bright. And I believe that because I think the mechanisms for allowing really meaningful innovation are here. And I think that there is more excitement around innovation for good than there ever has been before. I think to your point that so many people want to have more than a job, they want to have meaning in their work, will fuel the things that need to happen to save our world. And I think specifically to go on a tangent energy-wise, I very much believe in democratization of energy and that someday it will be extremely distributed. Like I know you are the microgrid evangelist. I think there will be a lot of things that need to happen from a regulatory perspective, from a cultural perspective, from a technology perspective that will have to be developed and embraced to enable it. But if I were to guess, I would say there's going to be smart contracts facilitating energy transactions. And the way we buy and deliver energy will be very, very different in the future. And I'm hoping that I am still around to see that and that I'm an integral part of it through the innovation we can bring to life. But I think for me, the democratization of energies is one of the things that has to happen for the world to be okay. The innovation's there. It's just a matter of tapping into it and continuing to foster that. Has the pandemic impacted how you feel about the Earth's future? A thousand percent, yes. I think the pandemic has made me think in a lot of different ways. I mean, one of which I left my beautiful home in Arizona and now I live in a maybe 300 square foot metal box. You know, joking aside, I think the biggest thing it did for me was put a lot of things in perspective. and what may have felt important before became irrelevant in this sort of new normal, which I hate that term, but everybody understands it. It gave people the freedom to think differently because they were forced into it. And individuals who have worked in a cubicle their entire life and could never imagine working for anywhere but a building 
with the pension and all of the things are now sitting at home with their kids screaming in the next room going, I don't even know what this world is anymore. And they had to adapt. And I think that has released some really incredible brain power out of people that they didn't know they had. And people had to get creative. And although there was a lot of pain in the world, and I mean, I am like at the 1% pain scale, like people had to go through so much more than me, but I had traveled for years for work. And all of a sudden I'm stuck at home. I've got a three-year-old staring at me, trying to run these conference calls. And at na- the 20 minutes of nap he had in the middle of the day, if I didn't have a call, I would be on my Peloton crying, going like, how am I going to get through this day? This is insane. And I say that because I think it opened up vulnerability. It opened up just human connection, which is ironic because we didn't have it anymore. And we're sitting on the screen, but I'm getting long-winded and very soapboxy. But I think it just put a lot of things in perspective for a lot of people. And being a part of something bigger became more important. And I think making the world a better place kind of came to the forefront for a lot of people, myself included. And you kind of got out of your own bubble a little bit, even though you were forced into your bubble more. The irony is beautiful, but I think yes is the short answer to all of that. Do you have advice for people that want to help mitigate climate change? Yes. One, call me. Two, I say that because one of our favorite sayings, and I I said it earlier, is the ability to take ideas from just an idea to IP. And there's a lot of humans on this planet that have incredible ideas, but they don't know how or have the means to bring them to life. And One of the things we're doing at Altruistic, which I will kind of say with a wink, because it's not totally out there yet, is we're creating an ecosystem to do just that, to be able to meaningfully invest in those ideas and help bring them to life. And that will always be done with the soul of the altruistic mission, right? Of innovating for good and innovating for the humans. And, And we say we're the human face of AI. So I think if you've got an idea, never be afraid to say it, even if it sounds absolutely insane. Because if somebody told me half of the technology I see in my daily life 15 years ago, I would have told them, what drugs are you on? That's never going to exist. And now it's everyday stuff. So the advice is don't be quiet about it. If you have an idea, tell someone. If you don't have someone to tell, tell me. I used to have a lot of ideas. They're gone now. Do you have any questions for me? What are you most excited about right now? There's so many dimensions to answer that question. From a technology dimension, I'm on the board of Pi Energy. They just spun a fan with an iPhone light with a new material that has no rare earth elements, super thin, super inexpensive to manufacture, no supply chain dependency. Very excited about that. It's a company called SignWatch, developing a technology to charge vehicles without chargers, without expensive chargers. That's a big expensive item right now in the world. Mm-hmm. And they would significantly reduce that cost. Wow. <laughs> I'm on the board of a company called Sustain6, which is focused on getting employees in the climate change fight instead of just companies. Mm. And it's a way for companies to get their employees engaged. I feel like I'm leaving a million companies out. I am leaving a million companies out. But yeah, technology-wise and 
innovation-wise, there's so much going on. It's incredibly exciting. I've just had calls with those companies, which is why they were top of mind. Each of them I've just mm -hmm. spoken to. But I'm also excited about life and that people mm -hmm. seem to be trying to get more out of life and enjoy life. I'm excited about my kids. They're doing great. My wife and I are doing great in our new home. There's a lot to be excited about. I ask that question because I think whether you're talking about climate change or the pandemic or any of that stuff, it's really easy to look at what's wrong in the world. And I think it's, we all have stuff that we're grateful for and we're super excited about. Like you just lit up, right? When I asked you that. And it's, it's making sure we bring those moments into the forefront and, you know, remember how lucky we all are to be alive and be able to make the change and just enjoy the days that we have. You could have asked me what's bumming me out, and I would have had a long <laughs> list for that, too. So thank you. Thank you for not making me feel that way. <laughs> I could have said, what are the biggest challenges to achieving climate change? Ouch. I will not even <laughs> think about the answer to that. I know. So, <laughs> it would get so. me down. Is there anything else you want to say? First of all, thank you for inviting me, for sure. I think podcasts are a beautiful medium to share authentic stories. And I think, you know, especially when it comes to the energy industry and climate change and all of these things, there's a lot of talking points that we see in very well-scripted quotes from leadership and ESG reports and very formal New York Times articles. Uh, but I think it's going to take genuine conversations between humans to really make a difference. And I think this medium is a beautiful one to just do that. So I'm honored to be here. I hope that the listeners enjoyed my weirdness and if anybody, I'm dead serious when I say, if you have ideas or want to talk or want to learn more about AI or any of the things, I am an open book. I clearly love to talk and please reach out because this is, this is what I love to do. I am sure they loved your weirdness. <laughs> I, I know I did. And on that note, I'm going to wrap this up and I'm going to wrap it up with a wrap. There was renewable, boom, there was unique fear and pain, but you were motivated by your electrical engineer brain. You are on the road for a year, for a year you will roam. You're in a class A motor home, data, digital, AI, it's all mystic, but not if you contact the company Altruistic. You are innovative. You're certainly not a normer. We had a good time talking about the old smart transformer. They gave you some slack because electrical engineering was your topic, but you love this guy, Professor Tofik. You are certainly one heck of an innovator. A lot of people, they will be your hater. Luckily, you met this great guy, Steve Rayner. At SDG, you opened the operations lid and convinced them they had to take seriously the smart grid. You think that innovation will help us be all right and that our future, that it will be bright. If someone has an idea, you said, bring it to me. You will breathe life into that idea and make it IP. When it comes to the things you say, we like, like, like. You used to do a podcast, and so you know how to handle a mic. Thank you so much, Amanda Frake. <gasps> I am dead. That was amazing. I think I blew my mic out. I think you blew my brain out.
as we discussed briefly, Amanda applies her critical thinking and conceptualization skills from an incredible adventure traveling the United States in a Class A motorhome with her husband and son, truly embracing the digital nomad lifestyle. What an incredible opportunity to see the country and meet new people with differing and common perspectives. If you have comments or questions about the podcast, visit my website at privatenergyinnovations.com and drop me an email. I would love to hear from you. And if you're enjoying the Climate Champions podcast series, please subscribe, rate it five stars if you're an Apple user, and tell your climate-concerned friends about it. I'm excited about Amanda reaching out to find people with new ideas to help them develop the IP. We need all arrows in the quiver, every potential for a breakthrough to add to our toolkit. With great ideas, people, and technology, we can mitigate climate change. Mm-hmm.